This week on Blue 58, we celebrate a birthday, take a look at our latest specialty stat, and kick off a new series. Then, what are our expectations for the defense? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Gary Zillavi is off giving fly fishing a try this weekend. This week, whatever it is that you're listening to this podcast it's a digital medium, so it really doesn't matter. You can listen to it at your convenience. I am your host, John Meerdink, as I said, and we've got an exciting podcast ahead of us for today, for this week, again, whenever you're listening to it, starting with the first and perhaps most important headline of the week. It's been one year for the power sweep, and I don't mean one year since we did something a year ago. I mean one year that we've existed. It has been just over 365 days of the power sweep, and I am so, so thankful to each and every one of you who has read, read, listened, done whatever it is you do to help us keep writing and doing the things that we're doing at thepowersweep.com. As I wrote in the thank you piece that I put on the blog uh, yesterday, I... (laughs) I had no expectations when we started this. I have done some version of a Packers blog every year since 2012. Uh, I've had months where we've gotten eight to 10,000 visitors, 20,000 visitors, 300, 100, two dozen visitors. It's been all over the map. You never really know what you're going to get. And it tells me at least we're doing something a little bit right that enough of you are coming back that it's still worth pursuing and doing something like this. I know the one litmus test that Gary and I had when we started this, month to month, was are we having fun? And it's been hard at times. It's been difficult to get through the slog of the offseason or just deal with life things that come up and still have enough time to put together a podcast or put things on the blog. But it has never not been fun. And I think that's the mark of a really great hobby and a really great project. Even when things are hard, it's fun. And it's all the great interactions that's we, that we've had with readers and listeners It's that's just made it even more than I thought it could be. So thank you very, very sincerely. All the glory to God for putting this uh, over the top of what we thought it could be. And, and really, we're looking forward to a great second season as we head towards training camp, which is only a little bit more than a week away. As we head towards training camp, we want you to be a little bit more equipped for this season too from a statistical perspective, and that's why we're rolling out our second specialty stat. Uh, I struggle with the word advanced stat, even though that's what we've been using to describe some of these things. They're not super advanced. They are more special to us. This one is something we're calling total pressures. And this, like our last stat, is not something that's unique to us, but one that we want to make sure is tracked even though former Milwaukee Journal Sentinel beat writer Bob McGinn has ridden off into retirement. He tracked total pressures for his entire career as a beat writer covering the Green Bay Packers, and we think it's a better way of looking at who's getting after the quarterback. Sacks are fine, uh, and they can give you a picture of who is pressuring the opposing passing game, but they don't tell you the whole story. That's because sacks in our opinion, really only measure one outcome of a particular play. They only measure uh, a player's effectiveness at tackling the quarterback before he has a chance to throw the ball. Total pressures instead measures the combination of sacks, knockdowns, and hurries, and we think they do a better job of showing who's really getting to the quarterback. 
case in point from last season for the Packers is Dayton Jones. He's a good example of why a stat like this is important. Last year, Jones ended up in the top five on the Packers, one and a half total pressures. He only had one sack, but still a top five guy in terms of getting after the quarterback. If you just look at the one sack, it looks like he didn't have a very good season at all. But in reality, he was actually one of the better pass rushers on the Packers and was spending a lot of time in opposing backfields. Adds a lot of context to his performance last year to see that he had 31 and a half total pressures. And it also encourages us to think a little bit more deeply about the decision to let him move on. Now, if you just look at the one sack, it, it's really a no-brainer to let Dayton Jones leave as a free agent. But if you consider him as one of the top five pass rushers on the team, suddenly that's a much more difficult call. And it's a much higher bar that the Packers will have to replace. You can get one sack pretty much just by accident. I'm sure at some point this season, someone on the Packers is going to come unblocked to the quarterback because of a screw up on the opposing team. Uh, a quarterback is going to be scrambling and not get back to the line of scrimmage. So even though he was really trying to run, it's going to go down as a sack. Maybe he'll just trip over his own feet during his backpedal and someone will just have to tag him down and get a sack that way. That could be the difference between Dayton Jones having one sack and having no sacks all of last season. If he'd have had no sacks, it would have looked even odder or looked even easier maybe on the other end of that spectrum to let him go as a free agent. The total pressures would have painted a much more complete picture and that's what we're trying to accomplish here. Bob McGinn is gone. He's not going to be tracking this stat anymore. So we are trying to take up that mantle on his behalf and do it as best as we can. I hope you'll follow along with us this year. Finally, I wanted to point out our new position previews series. We are in the midst of our position previews this week, taking a look at each position group on the Packers and how they may contribute to the team's success or failure, perhaps, this season. It's been interesting to look kind of quickly at each of these positions we are through four positions so far. We've done quarterbacks, outside linebackers, wide receivers, and the defensive line. The wide receivers, to me, is really kind of the epitome of why we want to do this series. We're looking at a few of the the bigger players and maybe the smaller players as well that we think will contribute this season. We're asking or we're pointing out a veteran to watch, a notable newcomer, asking one big question for a position group and leaving you with one stat the road that you may not have considered um, as far as that particular position group. That stat for me, as it pertains to the wide receivers, I think was particularly interesting uh, because it points out something that kind of encapsulates a storyline that developed throughout all of last season, and that has been the struggles of Randall Cobb. I don't know if struggles is the best word, but the, the diminishing role perhaps of Randall Cobb within the Packers offense. Last year, Randall Cobb was just targeted targeted with just 60 passes. That's a fair number, but it's the fewest opportunities he's seen to make a catch in a full season since his rookie year. Now, Cobb played all 16 games last season, uh, was present for some games uh, when the Packers were short at receiver, I think particularly in the playoffs, and still only came up with, with 60 targets. Now, that's just in the regular season. But even then, with, a, with Jordy Nelson coming back from, uh, from an ACL injury, he still didn't find a way to get consistent targets in the Packers' offense. And I think that's, that's really, really interesting, and it's going to be something to watch this year. Anyway, check out that full position previews series. 
wide receivers is as good a place as any to start. We'll be doing that throughout the rest of this week and into next week as we head towards the start of training camp. Before we head to our main topic this week, I wanted to remind you about our Patreon page. A Patreon is a really easy way for you to support pretty much everybody who is doing something creative, but but us in particular. It's not free for us to run this website, and although it's a, cl- a cost we gladly take on, uh, we're looking for all the help we can get, too. Patreon is a way that you can do that, and it's not going to cost you very mon- much. We are asking for just $1 a month. I spend a dollar a month on something stupid almost every single month. Uh, this month, in fact, I, I bought something that maybe isn't isn't not stupid, but maybe I didn't necessarily need uh, per se. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good deal, and uh, I needed a new pair of shoes. So as I was walking around Walmart the other day, I happened upon something that I didn't know existed. They have a clearance rack for shoes at Walmart. I bought a pair for $3. That's three months of support for the power sweep, if you were me. Uh, I think it's a great way to support us. It doesn't cost you a whole lot. And instead of spending, spending it on something goofy like a pair of clearance rack shoes at Walmart, maybe send it our way instead. It's only a buck a month. It'll help keep the good stuff coming from the Power Sweep and Blue 58. And we would really appreciate it. No pressure, but just consider it. You can find a link to it at our website. Uh, if you go to thepowersweep.com, there should be something in the menu uh, for support. Or there is also a link on the right side of our homepage. Think about it. Throw us a buck uh, if you want. Uh, we won't uh, pressure you into it, but if that's something you decide to do, we would greatly appreciate it as well. All right, let's talk expectations for the defense. Blue 57, hit! Two weeks ago, we spent some time talking about setting expectations for the offense, and I wanted to take a second to talk about why we're doing that. Uh, at the end of last season, we did our... 2016 evaluations had to think what year it was for a second 2016 evaluations of the entire Packers roster we tried to get everybody who took a snap for the Packers in 2016 and evaluate their performance one of the key parts of that evaluation was whether or not a player met expectations and expectations can be different for each player uh, based based upon who we are and so who they are rather so we thought going it into this season, it was very important to kind of set those expectations ahead of time. It doesn't, uh, there are a couple things to consider as it, when it comes to setting these expectations too. It doesn't really work to compare players against other players. Comparing a guy like Aaron Rodgers to Joe Callahan would be silly. And even comparing somebody like Jordy Nelson to Devontae Adams wouldn't really work either. Uh, Adams and Nelson do different things in the offense. They have different skill sets, and the Packers ask different things of them. Same with Aaron Rodgers and Joe Callahan. They both play the same position, but Aaron Rodgers is perhaps one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and Joe Callahan uh, played for, what was it, three different teams throughout all of last season. You would never see those two in, in the opposite situations. It's just not going to happen. So it's really important to compare Uh, players not against other players but against our expectations for their players themselves so here are some rules that we came up with when we were doing these expectations your role matters as I mentioned not everybody at the same position has the same role on the teams and uh, not even your hierarchy within the team uh, changes expectations you're going to have higher expectations for a starter than a backup that's just common sense and that's how it's going to work most of the time your performance in the past matters as well um, Ty Montgomery is a good example of this. We don't have a lot of uh, 
past performance for him as a running back. Got 77 carries or something like that last year. The expectations, even if they are high in, in that category, are different than the expectations for a rookie uh, who, who has never taken a snap at all in the NFL or a guy who would come in, say the Packers had signed a guy like Adrian Peterson. The expectations for him would have been much higher because we've seen his track record in the past. I can't even believe that I used the example of Adrian Peterson considering how much we stumped against him all of the offseason. Thank goodness he's in New Orleans this year instead of Green Bay. But I digress. The third piece of criteria uh, for this uh, expectation setting is who you are as a player matters. Don Barclay's high expectations, even if he were to become a starter at some point this season, would still be different from our expectations for David Bakhtiari. I don't think I need to explain exactly what that means. It's sort of a feel thing. You are who you are on this team, and our expectations are adjusted accordingly. We're going to go through just a few of the players for whom we have high expectations on defense uh, this year and explain why. I don't want to delve into every single player for whom we have high expectations, but there are a few key ones that I think are interesting. I want to start, first of all, with two rookies, Kevin King and Josh Jones. These were two of the three rookies from this class for whom we had high expectations this year. In fact, let's just group the third one in there as well, Vince Beagle. Uh, Each of these three men was drafted in unique circumstances. King and Beagle especially are going to have their legacies linked for quite some time. King in particular is interesting because of the position group he's coming into. The Packers cornerback spot was decimated last year by injuries, bad play, and general just inexperience and not playing very well in just about every situation. He's being called upon to help fix that situation and how he plays, especially early on in the year uh, when he has no real NFL experience, is going to play into how that position group behaves a lot. Uh, He, as I said, is linked very closely with Vince Beagle. Beagle was selected with the additional pick that the Packers picked up in the trade out of the first round that got them the Kevin King pick as well. Now, who was taken with that pick that the Packers gave up uh, in exchange for uh, what would become Beagle and King? Well, it wasn't T.J. Watt, actually. He was taken a little bit later. But the Packers passed on the opportunity to select hometown favorite T.J. Watt in the first round. The legacies of those three players are always going to be linked, and I think that's going to be uh, something that plays into the expectations for both of the guys on the Packers, Beagle and King, for a long time and this year. The third rookie, Josh Jones, big guy, athletic guy, expected to play a lot of uh, positions all over the defense. As I wrote in the piece, the NFL loves a good fad, and those athletic hybrid type players are really the hottest fad going right now. Jones is really the Packers' most full-throated response to that fad. They tried Morgan Burnett at linebacker a little bit last year, And he did fine, and I expect him to play there again this coming season. But Jones uh, is really the full embodiment of the the sort of hybrid safety linebacker type player. Moving on, HaHa Clinton Dix. It's really easy to see why expectations are high for him this year. Made his first Pro Bowl last season. We're expecting more of the same in the future, and it's time for him to really become a, a leader in the secondary. Linebackers have some especially high expectations to fight this year. Clay Matthews in particular is one that we've talked about a lot and we don't really have to explain 
why our expectations for him are so high. You can go back and listen to our couple of pa- a couple of our past episodes to, to go into that. But Nick Perry, to me, is somebody who's going to be facing expectations even higher than anything he's faced to date. Now, Perry has the pedigree of a guy who's always going to be battling high expectations. He tested like a maniac at the NFL Combine, one of the best workouts for somebody in his position group that you're ever going to see. Ran like a track star, jumped like a high jumper, uh, was a, a, a beast on the bench press, very, very strong, did all the things right, and it got him drafted in the first round. And that brought all the expectations uh, of being a first-round pick as well. Then this past offseason, he signs an enormous contract extension with the Packers. So he's got the three big things. Super athletic, former first-round pick, and being very, very, very well-paid. The bar could not be higher for Nick Perry this year. Uh, One other linebacker I wanted to mention when it comes to high expectations is Kyler Fackrell. Fackrell is thought to be a big reason that the Packers felt comfortable moving on from guys like Julius Peppers and Dayton Jones. Why exactly? I'm not really sure. He, according to Pro Football Reference was one of the top-rated pass rushers among his rookie class. I didn't see that last year. I would have to go back and look pretty intensely to figure out where those positive reps in the pass rush were coming from. Now, I, I hope that he can he can live up to that, that billing as being one of the, the top young pass rushers on the Packers because he didn't show it consistently last year. He looked like a guy who was just not big enough or strong enough to be competing at the NFL level. But the Packers are counting on him in a big way. And I think um, that how he plays this year will go a long way towards determining how the Packers, as, a, as an entire defense, really perform. I don't think that's really overstating it either because the Packers place a lot of uh, their defense on the shoulders of their pass rushers. That's just how a 3-4 defense works. And if you don't have a lot of them, Boy, that puts a lot of pressure on the guys that you do have. You've got to have depth that pass uh, among your path, pass rushers. And Fackrell has to show that he can provide that depth. One more guy, two more guys. Let's do two more guys for whom we have high expectations and then move on. This is a guy who I almost surprised myself with in talking about high expectations. But I think Jake Ryan is facing some pretty high expectations this year. He quietly had a very, very good finish to his 2016 season. He was one of the only traditional Packers linebackers who could cover consistently. And I vividly remember during that divisional or that wildcard round game against the New York Giants, Jake Ryan getting matched up against Odell Beckham Jr. and carrying him up the slot, covering him perfectly, and I think even swatting away a pass that came his direction. It was textbook and exactly what the Packers have been hoping for from their inside linebackers over the past few seasons. It's interesting that Ryan really developed in in coverage when Blake Martinez was really drafted to sort of take that role uh, as a coverage linebacker in the middle of the field. Ryan being showing that he can do that, to me, has some high expectations this year because the Packers no matter what they end up doing with guys like Josh Jones and Morgan Burnett, are still going to need those traditional linebackers at some point. The role may not be as big as it was in the past, but it's still going to be there. And if somebody's going to fill it, it seems like to me right now that it's going to be 
Jake Ryan, and his expectations are high as a result. We'll wrap here by discussing Demarius Randall. I think the expectations for Randall were very high last year. People forget, I think, how, how promising he looked as a rookie. He wasn't great, but it looked like he had a lot of potential. And the stats really bore that out. His opposing passer rating when he was targeted was pretty good. Had a couple nice-looking interceptions. Could get up and down the field with, with really any, any receiver. All of that was gone in his second year. And it's come out since then that he has or he was, rather, battling a groin injury throughout much of the season. Now he's healthy. Now there is no more Sam Shields, so he has the full spotlight of being a starting quarterback. And now, entering his third year, we can't really use youthful inexperience as an excuse anymore. Demarius Randall is and needs to be whatever it is he's going to become as an NFL player now. It has to be now. It, it's it's now or maybe never for Randall. The expectations are high. He's got to produce. It's got to be now. There's no more redshirt seasons left for Demarius Randall. Otherwise, he might start trending towards that dreaded B-word category that you never like to use around first-round picks. Anyway, you can check out our full list of expectations for the defense Um on thepowersweep.com right now. It should be easy to find on the homepage, and I think there's some good stuff sprinkled in there throughout the roster. Uh, it was interesting to me how, how there's so many, and you forget this year in and year out, how many young, new defensive backs there are in camp with the Packers this year. And some of them have really great names. My favorite trio of names came up one right after another as it worked out with our with our. Uh, listing of players, but Lindsey Pipkins, Donatello Brown, and Rayshon Pringle. Those names almost sound completely made up. They are real, uh, and it's just fun that you get to have guys with names like that. Anyway, check out the entire piece. It's on thepowersweep.com right now. Hey, while I've got you here, wanted to point out something very interesting that I discovered while looking uh, through some stuff for our positional preview series. Did you know that Dean Lowry, the second-year defensive end out of Northwestern, is the only defensive end listed on the Packers roster. It's true. They have 10 defensive linemen on the roster right now, and only Dean Lowry, all by himself, is considered a defensive end. That's weird to me because Ricky Jean-Francois was signed as a defensive end. We know Mike Daniels is considered a defensive end by and large. To me, it just goes to show you that positions, as we have uh, been led to believe about them, um, in the NFL are largely meaningless. It, it doesn't really matter what your position is listed as, as long as you can play and produce in the role which you are given. That's going to about do it for this week's episode of Blue 58. would like to remind you that you can find us if you direct your internet browser of choice to www.thepowersweep.com. That is the main homepage of the source of all the good stuff that we produce uh, at The Power Sweep and via Blue 58. You can also find us at Facebook and Twitter. Check us out at facebook.com slash thepowersweep or at thepowersweep on twitter.com. If you have some suggestions for the show, some things you'd like to see us talk about or write about on the site, uh, you can reach us via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. And don't forget our ways that you could support the site monetarily via patreon.com 
or our shirt site, SpreadShirt.com. We'd love to hear from you, whatever medium you choose. Any feedback that you send our way helps us make the Power Sweep and Blue 58 better. And it helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I say every week, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For the absentee Gary Zillaby off doing whatever it is I said he was doing this week, I am John Mirtink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.